Hey guys, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. Once you finish the season finale of HBO Succession, make sure to tune in to the last episode of the Ringer's after show called Number One Boys with Chris Ryan and Jason Concepcion. You can check that out as well as recaps from the episodes from this season on our Twitter, at Ringer, and our YouTube page. We also have a lot of great written content about the show from writers like Allison Herman, Katie Baker, and Miles Surrey. You can find that on theringer.com. Ringer FC, a very special MLS Cup episode. We will be previewing Major League Soccer's all-new playoff format, which kicks off this weekend. Later on in the show, we'll preview Sunday's Manchester United-Liverpool match at Old Trafford, and also the rest of the Premier League weekend. But first, oh Canada and woe USA. Canada manager John Herdman promised blood, guts, and thunder heading into last night's CONCACAF Nations League match. And so it was. Canada defeated the U.S. men's national team for the first time in 34 years, 2-0 at BMO Field in Toronto. The last time the U.S. lost to Canada, April 2nd, 1985. Ronald Reagan was president. Air Jordan 1s came out. That was actually Michael Jordan's first dunk contest was that year. It was a long time ago. My guest, Andrew Helms, was born by then, right? No. Andrew Helms was not born. So Andrew Helms has never seen the Canada beat the U.S. national team. That's amazing. Uh, second half goals from Alfonso Davies and Lu- Lucas Cavallini were the difference. Canada out- outshot the USA, had most of the big chances. So Andrew, of course, wrote the definitive story about how the USMNT failed to qualify for the 2018 World Cup. So he's an expert. Andrew, what happened? I mean, at a, at a, at a very basic level, they lost and they lost badly, right? If you watch that game, no life, no energy, no performance. Um, but I think in the larger context, right, this all goes back to two years ago when the U.S. lost in Trinidad, failed to qualify for the World Cup, and everyone kind of got into this soul-searching period about what was going to be the identity of this team moving forward. And the solution to that problem was allegedly going to be this guy, Greg Berhalter, the man with a plan. Um, Berhalter had been the coach at, at Columbus. He was known for having these tremendously well-organized, disciplined teams, and he was going to bring in a new style of play, a new a new way to play out of the back. You know, he was talking big. You know, he wanted the USMNT to play like Manchester City. But what we've seen over the last few, few of over the last year that he's he's been in charge is, you know, yeah, we can we can run over Cuba seven to nothing and look great doing it. But the minute any team puts any pressure on uh, the back line, overloads the midfield, our players aren't good enough to get out of it. And so, you know, he's this rigid, uh, extremely narrow-minded manager who wants the team to play in a certain way. But when you don't have Tyler Adams, you know, the, the team's best central midfielder, uh, they, they shut down and they fail. And this is the kind of the overarching question is they went from the Klinsman era, which was basically, you know, the players in the tunnel figuring out how they're going to play, do the tactics before the game to this kind of over overcoached, oversubscribed Berhalter era where the play, players are so, you know, you can see in their heads, they're like, oh, I know I need to do that. And they're not feeling the game. There's no flow. Um, and Maybe he meant Manchester City of like the late 90s. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Looking at the game yesterday, I mean, Canada, 
obviously I, I mentioned the, the manager's quote heading into the match. They were really looking at it as a cup final. They knew that they hadn't beaten the USA in forever. Obviously on Twitter, people are overreacting a little bit, maybe saying that this is like the, a low point for, for the USMNT. I mean, it, do you think that can the fact that Canada took the match probably more seriously than the U.S. did uh, means that we shouldn't put too much stock in the result? I mean, I, I think if this was a one-off, you know, but this was the case when the U.S. played Mexico a few months ago. This was the case whenever the U.S. has gone up against, uh, and it, Canada's not even in the same tier as Mexico, right? Canada's ranked what seventy fifth, seventy fifth in the world. You know, one and, spot above Curacao. Uh, and you know, let's give Canada their due. They've got some good young players. Alfonso Davies is a, a rising star with Bayern Munich, um, but. The U.S. should be able to, has the talent to go up against a team like that. And you need to have a coach who's willing to, you know, get the best out of the the team that he has. You know, over and over again, you'd watch uh, Michael Bradley, Christian Roldan, and Weston McKinney going up against four midfielders from, from, from Canada who basically realized if you put players in the center of the field and the U.S. tries to play out of the back, they're not good enough. Yeah, I mean, technically... Uh- it's it seemed like a little bit of a rigid, as you mentioned, game plan that you know Canada kind of overran the middle fi- the midfield, and, and the U.S. didn't really have an answer. I'm bringing in Connor Nevins here, my ringer colleague. Connor, a lot of people now have been saying, but louder than ever, that Burhalter should be fired. This might be a fireable offense. Uh, I think the U.S. Soccer Federation is at least going to give him the, the qualifying cycle. But uh, what do you think is the future for Burhalter? I, I agree with Andrew too. I think I do think they miss Tyler Adams, and I think like you don't want to kind of peg it on individual players being gone. But I mean, Weston McKinney did not have a great game, and and they do they do miss him in there because because Bradley is just not not enough to carry that midfield. I I think you know they're going to give him the qualification cycle. I mean, his job is to qualify for the for the World Cup, um, and I you know think unless it gets really really in danger of that, he's he's his job is is not in danger. They play Canada next month, November 15th, and I think that's one where And that's a home match in Orlando. Uh, it's in it's in Orlando and, you know, if his if his statements, if his if his tactics, you know, if he got his tactics wrong, then there's the opportunity to to fix that. If as he says that, you know, the intensity wasn't there, then then that's a preparation, that's a coaching, that's a motivation issue. Both of those things are completely within his control. Both of those things, you know, there's enough time to um to kind of motivate everyone and bring them back for for that next game and, you know, that's that that's his that's the referendum right there. I mean, that's the small sample size where, you know, you you really test his ability to to rebound from a really terrible result. And you know, I think I also too, it's I think Andrew mentioned it. Like it is you do give Canada a little bit of credit too. And it's 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 kind of it's not the worst thing in the world to have a team that was otherwise not really a factor in CONCACAF able to actually threaten the US. I mean, I think that competition ends up doing them pretty well. Can we talk a little bit about Pulisic? Because again, uh he was subbed in the 60th minute. The cameras caught him on the sideline looking very upset. Uh, some were speculating that maybe this was an arrangement with Chelsea to not, you know, the, I guess he played 60 minutes in the last two matches. And Berhalter said he had the flu. That was yeah. Berhalter's explanation. Yeah. I mean, like, what have has the U.S. figured out the best way or has Berhalter figured out the best way to deploy him to maximize his ability? And why isn't it working? Yeah, clearly not. <laughs> yeah, it's. I think. I think you have to kind of qualify a lot of what you see from Pulisic. Is he's having a really difficult start to this season, and I think you can clearly see a guy who's frustrated at his inability to impact games 
in the way that he was accustomed to, um, both with the national team and with Dortmund. Um, so you're saying his confidence might be waning a little bit? Or it, it has to be. I mean, it has to be. You know, he's he's he has these really, really small sample sizes, these kind of minute cameo appearances in which to impress his club coach, um, which is probably something he wasn't really expecting. Uh, and then, you know, to to be in a position where he can finally be the the main you know the 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 most important player in a side and to kind of have the performance that he did like you you can understand it and you can understand that he's he's pressing and I think you know I also kind of tend to think that to to Andrew's point like he probably you know if 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 you take Berhalter at his word then maybe he wasn't fully fit to begin with yeah you just also look at that you know the way they set up that team Josh Sargent the the number nine the striker was dropping so deep in midfield and whenever they would release the ball to Pulisic on the wing. He was running at no one. He was running at five Canadian defenders, you know, yeah. that that the way Berhalter had set up that team, you know, if you want to play that that style, you need to have a striker who occupies the center backs. And when that didn't happen, you're making, you're giving Christian, I, mean, I wrote down in my notes, what was your favorite, you know, time Christian Pulisic dribbled into like six Canadian defenders, you know? <laughs> Let's talk quickly, because uh, I don't want to linger too much on this match, but about the player selection uh, I see some talk that there's certain players there. I mean, we can talk forever about Michael Bradley, but other players that Burhalter is using that might not be up to the level. Uh, do you think? And, and you know, it's interesting in light of Klinsman talking about him and and the players that he relied on and chose. Like, is that an issue? Yeah, I think there's this kind of larger question of of talent in the U.S. men's national team that, like, as in lack of or not right. In the yeah, right yeah, that we have you know kind of the deepest array of talent in American soccer history, right? But in terms of top-level players, you go back, you know, Dempsey, Dempsey at his peak would start on this team. Donovan at his peak would start on this team. Uh, Tim Howard at his peak would probably start on his team. You know, that we don't have those great soccer players, but we have a ton more. Um, and yeah, you why would imagine that, is, that years later that yeah. they would have evolved or there would be newer. Yeah, I mean, we have Pulisic and McKinney. Yeah, we've Tyler Adams, you know, we've we've developed a lot of players, but we haven't necessarily developed. We don't have this this is kind of this like we we we've put all this money into player development, but for some reason we aren't developing as many elite players as we as we once did. Um I don't have an answer to that, but it's an interesting question and you kind of hope that there there's some interesting guys on the the U20. Um was it Sebastian Soto, uh you know, all the guys at uh Alex Mendez Uli Lenas, you know, there's these these young kind of U20 guys. Maybe they can contribute. You know, are there are there a few? You know, I think Jossie Zarda is coming in. Uh, Will Trap. Those guys have kind of exit stage right, thankfully. Yeah. But um, <laughs> yeah, there still is this question of are we are we needing to be relying on a uh, on on some middle of the rate guys who aren't going to contribute moving forward? You know, Tim Ream. You're not going to be a center back for us moving forward. Tim Ream is damn near like Michael Bradley now in that he's lasted regimes and yeah, still you know, kind of like written in pen. And like, obviously, maybe John Brooks gets healthy and that's a name that slots into center back for you. But uh, I think in some ways, you know, you have to. It's it goes back to tactics. It goes back to player selection. You gotta you gotta set up your team with the players you have. Not you know, oh, it'd be nice if we had Tyler Adams. So we'll play the the system that we'd play if Tyler Adams was healthy. You yeah. can't do that. I mean, in contrast, to close here, we were talking about Canada. I mean, is it is it kind of like a sleeping giant awoken? Because looking at Alfonso Davies and Jonathan David, who they had up front, they were kind of wreaking havoc on the back line. And speaking of exciting young talent, I mean, one would imagine that Canada will continue to improve. This was like their World Cup yesterday. I mean, they haven't made a World Cup in, since almost as long as they haven't beaten the U.S., 1986. So 
well, do you think that they have a, you know, they're trend trending upward? Yeah, and you know, what six minutes into the game, Mark Anthony K, who we may talk about with LAFC later, had subbed off injured. Right, he's a he's a real another really young, exciting midfielder who you know you could argue might slot into the USMNT starting midfield if 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 he uh, if he wasn't uh, Canadian. So yeah, it's exciting. There are a lot of good young players in Canada, and they have a young coach who is clearly getting the best out of them. Yeah. You know, which is the opposite of what you can say about the US the US right now. Connor, you think Jose for the USMNT job? Uh, no, <laughs> no. I, I think I think with with, with Berhalter, I mean, the one thing that you do, the very baseline expectation is that he understands the player pool and he can manage the player pool. Um, and I think you know, to Andrew's point, there's all these exciting young players. I think that there seems to be a bit of a, a generational gap um, in between because I think at the end of the day, you can always project forward and think about you know, who guys, what kind of system you want to be and who fits into that system in the next kind of, you know, two, four years, uh, World Cup cycles, qualifying cycles. But you still need kind of those guys that you can call upon when you just need to get a job done in, in, a, in, a, in a one-off game. And I think that's where, if you're going to go with a guy like Burhalter, he's got to be able to deliver, you know, tactically kind of uh, when it comes to picking the lineup. Um, I think Andrew made a good point where it's, if you don't have Tyler Adams, then, you know, you don't play the, the, the formation that you would normally play if he was there. Tyler Adams usually plays in the what position? Like a central defensive midfielder. Right. Yeah. Um, He's like that ball central ball winner, destroyer, crazy athletic, you know, the kind of thing they needed yesterday when they were getting overrun in midfield. What's the what's the name of the 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 left back prospect that's kind of deciding between Serginho Des? Yeah. So what's Des. the latest on him? He's he, he's taking left back his time is a position that they've never really I mean, he's he's playing. He's he's starting. You know, he's 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 playing. You know, regular. He's starting games for at Ajax. Ajax at this point. So I think there was a, an international break, and with the Netherlands, and he has just kind of said, "I'm, you know, I'm not making this decision right now." Um, so he's he's he's. I don't know if he's so much being coy, but I, I just you know, he's he's got a decision to make, and I think clearly, you know, he's progressed to the point where he probably would feature into the the Dutch team. So that's something he has to take into consideration. Yeah, yeah, who would want to join this team, this team right now? Yeah, true, true. Well, you know, as uh, you guys mentioned, or as Andrew mentioned, November 15th, they have a rematch uh, in Orlando. So presumably Berhalter can uh, redeem himself and the team can redeem themselves. Anyway, let's move on to MLS Cup. Exciting. Playoff start Saturday, October 19th. And this season, there's an all-new format. Andrew, can you explain the all-new format? Because it's exciting. Yeah, so... In years past, MLS Cup was uh, a series of I'm trying to think what the word is. Um, two legged, two legged, yeah, two legged uh, conference semifinals and conference finals, right? And then some one off playing games to get into the conference semis and the conference finals. But the problem with that format was they ran into the November international break, the one that we were just highlighting where the U.S. are going to play Canada. So basically, what used to happen was the MLS playoffs would start; they'd be fun. And then everyone would go off on their national teams for for a week, and then the playoffs would start again, and you kind of just like this palpable drop in momentum. In momentum, you yeah. know. So the idea was let's get everything before between these two international breaks. So playoffs start on uh, Saturday with playing games, and then it's um, conference semifinals, one leg; conference finals, one leg; MLS Cup, one leg. So if you're LAFC, who was the the best team in the league this year, and you have a bye week in the first round. You you can MLS Cup is you got you just got to win three games. Right, you got to win the semis, the finals, 
MLS Cup and you're done and you'll have home field advantage throughout if they if they do it. So I think it's going to make for, you know, like anything where you have... Uh, it's like March Madness. Yeah, you know, win or go home, it's going to produce some wacky results, right? And it's definitely going to... Pri- uh, I think you're going to get a lot of teams bunkering, a lot of teams trying to con- uh, not concede um, and might give favor to, you know, maybe like a a DC United team that's middle of the road offensively, but have a really good goalkeeper in Bill Hamid, haven't given up a lot of goals this year and have Wayne Rooney who can hit a free kick, you right. know, that there's a, there's a world in which that team over, over three games can, can, can uh, do better than some of the t- other teams that have more talent and more, you know, you know play the game uh, with a little more style and flair. Yeah. I mean, I guess the obvious con uh, of this is that um, ostensibly when you have a two-legged tie, the better team usually advances. Um, so it might be a more equitable way, I guess, uh, to decide who's the best team is to have, the, you know, each playoff round be two matches. However, the big plus is, I think, for the casual fan, and I guess maybe even for hardcore fans, is that you have basically eight cup finals, you know, and it's just a, you know, it, there could be a wacky result, but it's it's like immediate and, you you know, it's all in two days. I mean, Connor, what do you think? I, I think condensing the schedule, to Andrew's point, was just, I mean, that was that was really important because I think you do have to, you, you can't let it extend as far as it did. You know, I think the college basketball tournament is the probably the best, you know, analogy to, or the best example to that they're aiming for, striving for it. You protect the top teams enough, you know. You you kind of have some integrity with the regular season by giving them LAFC and and NYFC a, a top seed and home field advantage throughout. They get a first round bye, um, and I think there's kind of the understanding that fans of the league and fans of the teams kind of know the regular season still has importance because you understand who the best teams were over the course of the regular season, which is kind of similar in college basketball. But then you kind of concede that anything can happen. It's a crapshoot. Um, and I think it, it allows the it lowers the barrier to entry for just casual fans to kind of watch a game. And I think that was always a harder thing for the MLS mm-hmm. to sell is when you're watching a game on television and you're thinking, oh, this is actually kind of a, the first of two legs and, and, and you know, there's an aggregate score. And I, I think I think actually making it very just kind of a knockout round is is the best way to um, it's the best product. You know, and I think that's something they have to kind of keep in mind too. Um, and having it very, you know, just a race to the finish. I think it starts October nineteenth. It ends November tenth. Um, you know, just a three week kind of knockout race to the finish is a lot of fun. Yeah. Having been to an MLS Cup in December in Toronto, I can say uh, I'm very happy that they're <laughs> they're they're bringing it forward because uh, you know so you'd get those MLS Cups. There was one in Kansas City. I think it was like minus. It was like ten degrees or something. And just you're not going to get a good game when it's when it's that cold. Yeah. Uh, you know, speaking of the kickoff on October 19th, we're going to go into each matchup, but there's four matches on October 19th this Saturday, beginning at 1, and the last one kicks off at 10. Do you think there's any fans that are going to sit and watch the entire day of MLS action? I guess probably some would. Four matches? I don't know. If, if fans have continued to watch the U.S. men's national team after all these years and just appreciate the pain of of that experience. Maybe they're sadists and they just really <laughs> want to watch four MLS games back-to-back. It's but true. I'd, I'd say pick. Um, Connor, you are a season ticket holder for LAFC. I am. I did. I checked. They are the Vegas favorite. Oh yeah, MLS Cup for the first time. I guess that they're only two years in existence, right? So, how bullish are you on their chances? They're your team, right? I can safely say that. I uh, you can say that. You can say that. I have. Do you been have con- any merchandise? I have been converted. I I do have merchandise. Um, I mean the black and gold. It's a great color. Um, now it's I've I've gotten YouTube, into it though. I mean that I, stadium's awesome too. The stadium is fabulous. They did such a great job. Um, I, I mean I sit. 
Uh, I sit in the uh, section, I sit kind of in the lower bowl. Um, I mean, that, that's the thing with the stadium. There's really not a bad seat in the house. Um, they did a great job with it. Everything's very close to the field. The atmosphere is great. Supporter section in the back, the 3252 is just, I mean, it's fabulous. They go the entire game. Um, they did a great job with it. And it's kind of a great, you know, as an LA transplant kind of lifelong soccer fan, it was a great just kind of, okay, I can adopt this team easily. And it helps that they're the best team in the league and have the best player in the league and play probably, I mean, I'm biased, the most attractive soccer in the league. Um, Wait, Zlatan plays for Galaxy though. Mm, yeah, well, we joke, can we can joke, get joke, into joke. that. Wasn't their goal, their goal differential? I'm not wrong. Was plus 42, right? They, the they set a, they set a record for goal differential. They set a record for points. Um, Carlos Vela obviously set the single season scoring record break, breaking Joseph Martinez with uh, with 34. He had two goals at the uh, or he had a hat trick on the final game of the season um, to push him over the top. Um, wow, Clutch. and it's 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 they they really are. I mean, they they play and and you know the kind of would would have been a great segue, but. Uh, I mean, Andrew mentioned Mark Anthony Kay, who was an all-star this year, but coached by Bob Bradley, a guy who knows a thing or two about qualifying for World Cups. Um, and it's just, they, they play a 4-3-3. I mean, tactically, they're really, they're really interesting. They, the kind of the three forwards just, in, you know, in, uh, change positions kind of constantly throughout the game. Obviously, everything runs through Vela. Um, but they, they, they really are just a fun, just exciting team to watch. That said, wow. um, they do have it's a first... also just a on word on Bob Bradley, like... For the guy who, as we reported in the big ringer feature, they were negotiating with Klinsman behind his back while he was still the coach of the U.S. men's national team, got kind of unceremoniously fired after losing, you know, a game that, uh, in, after taking the U.S. to the round of 16 in the World Cup, winning the conf- or second place in the Confederations Cup. You know, I think we could all probably agree right now that he's been the best USMNT head coach of our life or our recent lifetimes. Um, and then kind of goes on this journey, doesn't do well at Swansea, but then to come back and see him doing well, I think we can all be... Egypt too, do we mention Egypt, that? Yeah, Egypt, you know, kind of went on this European odyssey, but to to return to the United States and now have built this kind of juggernaut at LAFC, it's a, it's a good... He's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's one of the better guys, I think, around Major League Soccer, and it's good to see him doing well. Wait, just to pull back for a second, because uh, as Connor mentioned, the top two seeds are LAFC and NYCFC. Is there anything to be made from that? I mean, it's obviously the two biggest cities, the two biggest media markets. Yeah, they're both, and they're both. You know, I mean, it's the it's the divide in MLS between you know, say, a team like the New England Revolution, which owned by the Crafts, who have you know done their best to not put a lot of money into that team versus these kind of ambitious, you know, the LAFC ownership group is super ambitious. Uh, the NYCFC ownership group is obviously uh, Manchester City, another really ambitious club in that, uh, you know, that's kind of the the larger subplot that's swirling as uh, the, the players union is about to have contract negotiations that you have, you know, a, a group of owners who are really excited and and trying to push the league forward in terms of paying players because the more money you spend, the better uh, players you're going to get the better quality the product is on the field versus some of these other kind of more stingy owners who've been around for a while who uh, are a little less willing to be as as ambitious with their with their spending. So I, I think yeah. it's an I think it's an important point to raise too because I mean the league is expanding and and they expanded the playoff field with the the goal in mind that they're going to be adding getting to 28 teams and obviously you know New York LA Atlanta um, has been part of that expansion recently. You've got Miami coming. Miami's Austin. coming. Um, Next. But I but I do think that, you know, when you think about, you know, in the last decade and even before then, what really sustained the league was the success of small market teams like Columbus, uh, Kansas City, 
um, you know, Salt, Salt Lake. Lake. Those those were great success stories, and you do wonder, kind of, if that's if you if you are witnessing a little bit of a kind of a that coastal chain, uh, you know, the the power shifting to the coastal teams. Again, these things are also you know they're cyclical. Yeah. All right. So let's go into the matchups now uh, on Saturday when uh when Andrew and and Saturday and Sunday. I'm sorry when Andrew and I were discussing. Uh, breaking down these matchups, he actually suggested maybe we should pair each team with a succession character. I didn't get all the way through, but I got I have a few, so yeah. we so, can. I'll do my best. You know, maybe they're they're not all going to be a perfect analogies, but uh, we'll try. All right. So first matchup on Saturday, with the Eastern Conference. It's uh, the defending champion Atlanta versus New England. Atlanta, the second seed. New England, the seventh seed. It's at one p.m. Eastern. What do you say? So I think um, it's going to be tough to see New England, who kind of limped in the playoffs, coming away with this because you're you've got you know Atlanta, the Logan Roy, the the patriarch, the <laughs> the reigning champs of MLS, going up against uh, uh, you know the Connors of uh, of the league <laughs> in the New England Revolution. But I think I think it's a you know basically the the narrative here is Atlanta has been probably the biggest success story in MLS over the past three years um, in terms of the the caliber of player that they've brought in um and obviously they won last year and that led to a bit of change tata martino their manager is now managing the mexican national team their top player miguel almaron was sold and now is starring at newcastle starring Mm. Uh, featuring (laughs) featuring he he plays he plays um and and that led to a bit of a, a stumble at the start of the season. They brought in Frank de Boer, who lasted three matches, I think, at his last job at Crystal Palace. I think it was actually like seven. Seven, yeah. okay. But they didn't score a goal, I believe, in, in those seven matches. So yeah, right. And then uh, and they brought in you know Pity Martinez, a new uh, Argentinian to replace Almiron. They have uh, Ezequiel Blanco, who I uh, who I bought in FIFA like. 16 a few years ago and he's like rated his speed is rated at 99 in that game so i would always buy him with my uh, like league two team and anyway but it was funny to see ezekiel barco that's a great a great eye for talent yeah great eye for talent anyway but um you know that those two players haven't quite uh been as consistent as they would like and so you have this this kind of rotating cast of characters for Atlanta and with, with Joseph Martinez obviously being, you know, still an incredible goal scorer. Um and can they who is, who is recovering from an injury yeah. that should be ready to play? Yeah, so you know, if if fit and healthy and if all of these pieces can finally um get to the the potential that they are and work, I think a lot of the challenge they had in the early season was De Boer was a little more rigid than Martino. Martino kind of let the let the flair players uh have that flair and They've they've settled into and finished second in the the Eastern Conference, but you know if those top if that top line talent can perform, there you know could could easily be a, a runaway success story and the the team that walks home with MLS Cup. By the way, Frank DeBoer five matches at five matches. Spot. You said seven. I said seven. You said three. So it's right the in the difference. middle. Yeah. All right. So let's move on. Um, and sorry, New England Revolution. I don't think yeah. I think it's yeah, just like Bruce Arena's comeback tour. He's, but. Done a, he's done a great job, yeah. But I think I think you're right. Talent talent wins out. Talent yeah. rises to the top in this league. Uh, the next one is 3.30 p.m. for the West. Number two, Seattle Sounders. Number seven, Dallas. Anything to say about this one? Uh, I think I think Seattle's got it. Not to not to go with the, uh, the favorites. The favorites again, but I mean, as their their top player, Nico Lodiero. Um, the Uruguayan number ten. You know, he's been out. He's been injured in and out of the lineup. And if he's healthy, I think, I think the the Sounders walk away with this one. 
Nickelodeon has kind of turned himself into kind of a, a really great, you know, all-time kind of de- in this decade um, in terms of a, a player in this league, a DP player in this league. He's he's really become, I mean, he's been there forever now, um, and he's still featured in the Uruguayan national team. I, th- I think that's a great success story um, when you think about guys coming here kind of earlier in their career, you know, not quite at the twilight. I mean, he's really managed to kind of um, carry, you know, be the face of that team, but also main, stay in the national team and also kind of just continue to play at a high level. Uh, but yeah, no, I think I think Seattle, um, you know, they're they're and it's one of those two where home field advantage kind of starts to play in, and yeah, uh, they clearly get the edge there. The, just a word on FC Dallas, though, is they've been kind of one of the best uh, generators of youth. Development and talent in the in the right, men's national team pipeline, kind of yeah. Renowned, right? So you know Paxton Pomical, um, who we hope will soon be slotting into that that midfield for the U.S. men's national team. He he's been hurt and wasn't featuring uh, recently, but you know you want to give them credit for for being a, a team that's committed to to youth development and who, playing. Who their recently? Kids. Who recently? Paxton Pomical recently just, uh, signed a long term extension. Um, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, because I think we did, Cannon, yeah. Reggie Cannon as well is someone who they're thinking, you know, they they would like to tie up, but maybe maybe not might not be able to kind of keep both of them. But again, yeah, another another good example. Legendary name is Reggie Cannon. Uh, all right, so East six p.m. Back to the East. Here's where it gets interesting: a four-five Toronto versus DC United. This is again at BMO. Um, Josie is hurt. Josie's been hurt. I'm not sure if he'll be ready. I haven't I haven't seen any reports. Um. So yeah, DC United was, you know, um, in the news quite a bit this year, obviously because of Wayne Rooney, but also because they had a, you know, they were struggling in years past and kind of put it together, new field, all of that. Uh, who do you see coming out of this one? Yeah, but then in the middle of the season, Wayne Rooney left yeah. and flew to uh, Darby County and now has been announced as their next manager and cut his uh, his contract two years short. So I think... But this could be his little his parting, swan song. His parting gift. Yeah. I mean... I, I I grew up in DC. I'm a DC United guy. I'll I'll take them in this game, but it really comes down to, um, you know, this is the last uh, chance for this DC United team with with that crop of uh, Luciano Acosta, who's most like who who hasn't had the season that uh, he he hoped. He had a breakout year last year, pairing with Wayne Rooney, and then his uh, transfer bid to PSG fell through at the deadline day, and he's been kind of sulking his way through the season and he's out of the starting lineup now. You know, so I think if DC is going to make a run, they need to find a way to get him back on the field and and have that kind of magic and combination play with Wayne Rooney again because those are two players that uh if working well together can be at the top of the league and and they've got, you know, I'd argue the best goalkeeper in Major League Soccer right now in Bill Hamid and uh a guy who uh is not afraid to tell you that he's better than Brad Guzan. So <laughs> uh, yeah, I kind of I kind of like DC, but Toronto's hard to play against at home. Well, um, so NYCFC is waiting, uh, you know, with their buy. They're waiting on the winner of this match. Is you know DC United a team like we talked about the kind of unpredictability of the, the single elimination format that you could see going on a run and maybe beating Toronto, then upsetting NYCFC and going all the way, or no? Only, I mean, probably not. It it depends if they're able to kind of figure out what they haven't been able to figure out all year, which is how to get Wayne Rooney chances on the ball to fin- and get Wayne Rooney the ball to score. You know, and last year it was because they had these two guys pairing well together, Acosta and Rooney. And this year Acosta has played himself out of the starting lineup. So uh, if they can figure it out, they got three games. 
Connor, you got anything for this one? No, I mean, I'm curious to see. I, I think it's slightly disappointing the way that the Rooney, because uh, it, I think, you know, it, it started, it had a real positive vibe there. He kind of really embraced it. it, seemed like he was taking to it and turned him around and leaving. I mean, it's, you know, he's going to, good for him. He seems like he's got a pretty nice deal over there in Derby County, but uh, it's a little bit of a shame to see that end so soon. Yeah, okay. So, and the final match on Saturday night is uh, number three, Real Salt Lake versus number six, Portland Timbers. I, I like Salt Lake. Um, you know, they're the team that I think they've got a lot of, they've got a lot of kind of like veteran savvy to them. I mean, Kyle Beckerman's still in there kind of bossing things around. Um, I, I I really like Real Salt Lake. Nick Ramondo's last year, so it could be a, yeah. a fitting uh, swan song for him. Mm. Okay, and then Sunday's matches, uh, we start at 3 p.m. In, in the East with number three, Philly versus Philadelphia Union. Number six, New York Red Bulls. It's a good little interstate rivalry. The Red Bulls really haven't been, you know... Shout out to Matt James. Red. Haven't been what we, we would have expected this year. I mean, they lost Tyler Adams. Um, All right, and, Sal- Salzburg. And they lost Jesse Marsh, obviously, who's now... Uh, I guess that was in the middle of last year, but... Wait, um, did I say Salzburg? Isn't Tyler Adams in Leipzig then? And Adams is at Leipzig. Marsh is at Salzburg. Marsh started at Leipzig and now is at Salzburg. Right. Okay. Um, uh, Bradley Wright Phillips hasn't had a fantastic year. He's actually out of the starting lineup. Um, whereas Philly has been kind of one of the big surprises of, of MLS this year. Uh, Marco Fabian, the Mexican national team player. Il Zinho, kind of a... They've got this like pipeline of like savvy Brazilians who aren't national team caliber but have played around Europe and have played well like Ilzinho and they're, they're, a, they're a great team and I think um, you know if you're going to pick someone in the east to as kind of your your sleeper pick in the east you know maybe the the cousin Greg the the the, un, the unassuming team you don't you don't see much coming from it's going to be I think it'd be Philly has Philadelphia Union how far have they gone before in MLS Cup history never never very far I think yeah I'm looking that up sorry uh, Connor? No, I, I, I like Philly too. I mean, I, I think Bedoya, Alejandro Bedoya is another just player for them. And Andre Blake is great in goal. Um, I, I, I do I do like Philly in that match. Okay, and then the final matchup in the first round, 8.30 p.m., fourth-seeded fourth Minnesota versus fifth-seeded those Latin Galaxies. And, of course, the winner of this match plays the waiting LAFC. So most it's, of the neutrals will be praying for an El Trafico in the next round, but... Um, yeah, and I and I think that's there's been some you know the LAFC will obviously have home field advantage, but if there's some talk or if you do get that El Trafico, play it in the uh, play it in the Coliseum right next door, um, fill it out. But I, it, what's interesting about this from an LAFC perspective is obviously the Galaxy have been a little bit of a boogeyman for them. They haven't uh, they haven't beaten them in five matches. Um, they've lost twice, drawn three times. Uh, in the last two years, Latan scored eight goals in those games. Um, LAFC also lost at home to to Minnesota this year, um, two nothing. That was a game that Vela was out, but then they went and they they drew one one. So they haven't beaten Minnesota either. So it's kind of a it's it's again when when you kind of think about the the knockout nature of this, it's like that four five matchup. If you're talking about like an NCAA tournament bracket, that that really scares you if you're the one seed. You just convinced me to choose Minnesota as my MLS dark horse. I don't really know anything about else about them, but do you have an opinion on this match, Andrew? I mean, I think everyone, like everyone, I want I want to see the Galaxy through, and I want to see that. Just the the El Trafico games this year. Did you get to go to one, Connor? I, I went to the one in LAFC, and it was uh, Zlatan scored twice in the first. God, I mean, it was 
12 minutes or something. I mean, I, I would have to check check that back, but it was one where it was just, I think there was a real palpable feeling that, that oh, this is going to kind of, this is going to get bad real quick. And they, they ended up rallying and it ended up being 3-3, but it was, uh, the games are always kind of very messy. And I, and I think it's one too where, you know, those those are the ones where Zlatan really kind of turns up because he clearly enjoys, he enjoys that kind of environment. And, uh, um, but it's, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, I, I I haven't been to too many kind of other MLS environments, but I can't imagine that there is a uh, an, an atmosphere that would rival that. I think that's like speaking more generally about the league too. Obviously, we watch Major League Soccer. It's not the Premier League. It's not the Champions League. But you get these like the crazy three three Zlatan Carlos Vela dueling games with just nutty stuff happening, and it's what makes the league fun to watch. And so that's kind of what I'm hoping more from the playoffs is. You know, you kind of get these like only in MLS moments where maybe it's not, you know, messy weaving through a pile of defenders and it it's, you know, not the prettiest thing to look at, but it's kind of crazy and fun and stupid and dumb and we're here for it. <laughs> yeah. The new, the new tagline for the league. The, the game, the game got, yeah, the game got <laughs> drunk really quick. I, th- I think yeah, that game exactly. was also the what? game was also a good one too. Where uh, I think Christian Pavone scored the the other goal for for the Galaxy, and that was one where you could tell. I mean, you, when you watch him in person, you think like, okay, maybe it took him a little while to get going, but that's the the quality is you know in, in a league like this is is very apparent. Yeah. Well, so you know, before we wrap this up here, we're gonna actually I think record again before the final final, which is on November tenth. But do you guys want to make a prediction? Maybe instead of predicting who will, well, actually. Two predictions. One is who will win the whole thing, and then two, who is your dark horse that could kind of like uh, upset people and sneak into the final? I'll start with you, Connor. Uh, I mean, I, I go with LAFC. I mean, I think they have the most talent. They have the most complete team. Um, they haven't been hit too badly by by injuries. I think they have the best coach. I mean, it's it's and you know, home field advantage will carry them through um, through the finals. I I, I mean, I, that would be my pick. If I had to pick a dark horse, I mean, there are three seeds, so I wouldn't necessarily know if that qualifies but i'd say salt lake i I really like salt lake andrew um i'll go with nycfc for the you know peculiar reason that uh i really like what they've done but you know they've kind of emerged from the from the the shadow of david via and put together a really good um front three that they all score. Um, they don't have kind of a Vela who is someone in the 30 goal range, but they have three players in the 10 to 15 goal range, which can can really hurt you in a lot of ways. Are and, they are they playing at City Field? Well, this is the this is the other point I was going to bring up is they traditionally play at Yankee Stadium, um, which is tiny and weird, and the sight lines are bad. But they've kind of because they play there so much, they have a, it gives them a, an extra home field advantage. But because they just postponed the ALCS. Now their second game, or now the 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 semifinal game is going to be at City Field, not at Yankee Stadium. So that's going to be a bit of a peculiar one for them. They're going over to the the Met Stadium when Red Bull Arena is like a perfectly good soccer arena. They could, Red, I don't Red know. Bulls have never let them. I know, I know. But I was, yeah, I love watching games at Red Bull. So it's it's frustrating to see them have to go play a game in a baseball stadium. And then, so do you have a dark horse? Um, I was going to say Salt Lake Two. Go for United. My guys, no, I don't think they got it. I mean, I think I think they uh, the Sounders. Um, it's not they're a number two seed, so I don't know how much of a dark horse that is. But they're consistently good. They're they're strong front to back, and uh, you know they can they have a great home field. So obviously they'll have to go on the road if they play LIFC. But I, I definitely see them getting at least to the the conference finals. Excellent. So like I said, we'll be recording again before the final. 
Uh, we'll see how these predictions turn out. Andrew, thank you so much for joining us with your MLS and USMNT expertise. Do you have to plug anything? At the moment, I got a, I got a few things that are cooking, but uh, yeah, go back and go back and read Own Goal. It was we just learned that it was an honorable mention for best American sports writing. Um, so thanks. Shout out to uh, the XG God Ryan O'Hanlon for <laughs> for editing that thing. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Cool. We'll take a break right here. When we come back, we will talk about the Premier League. We're back. We're joined by Micah Peters. What's up, Micah? What's going on? I'm here to uh, plead patience so that I have enough time to implement my system. Uh, and also <laughs> so that the checks can clear and I can get another job after this one. Well, yes, the international break is over. The Premier League comes back this weekend. And the marquee matchup is at Old Trafford on Sunday. Manchester United versus Liverpool at 11.30 a.m. Eastern time. I guess that's 8.30 for you guys on the West. It's a storied rivalry, of course, but two teams headed in opposite directions. Everybody should, after they listen to this podcast, go to TheRinger.com, great website, and check out Brian Phillips' piece about, well, what is it about? It's a, it's a letter. It's about from, chewing down on the, on the gritty leather strap of disappointment, basically. It's a, it's a letter from Sir Alex Ferguson to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, uh, written in Fergie's voice. Everybody should read it aloud and do their best Scottish accent. It is a it's a it's a reboot from an old uh, Brian Phillips Grantland uh, franchise. So it's he did yeah. it he did it once in a, when for it was a really good really good letter that he wrote to Cristiano Ronaldo yeah, when he was yeah. uh, try well struggling to find his scoring boots at Real Madrid. He said bloody laptops probably got rhinestones on it. That's pretty good. No, pretty good. It was pretty awful. But <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know it was a reprise of a. a uh, an old old letter he did. But anyway, Manchester United versus Liverpool. Manchester United in 12th place. Liverpool, of course, eight wins out of eight matches. Sky Sports, Micah, they recently did a combined starting 11 from these two squads. Guess how many Manchester United players featured in that starting 11? I don't have to guess because I saw it and it hurt me deeply. But, you know, like it was kind of like a dull ache, you know, sort of just well, like it was listener, something to be expected. There's none. There are no Manchester none. United players in that 11. Zero. Not Zero. even so, one. Think about the fact that Manchester United have spent like upwards of 250 million pounds over the last like four transfer windows, all just so that we can argue about whether or not De Gea is better than Allison or fucking Paul Pogba is better than Henderson. I might, I might have said sad. Harry Maguire in there maybe for Matt Tip. But anyway, Micah, the bigger question is, is the gap between these two teams that big? Would any Manchester United player start for Liverpool? Go, you know. Uh, what, what, uh, in current what? form, no. No Manchester United player would start for Liverpool. Um, Liverpool, there's also just like a, a, a good part of, of uh, Brian's piece um, was like down towards the end after all the stray shots he <laughs> takes at Phil Jones and... and uh, you know, Arsenal, um, which I'm sure that you enjoyed, Donnie. He talks about, like, how Manchester United and Liverpool have, like, kind of done the Freaky Friday over the last couple of years. Um, just because, I mean, this would be a... This is the first... Like, I was... I can't remember exactly who I was having this discussion with the other day, but it was just like, this is the first time in my life, like, since <laughs> since being a United fan since I was like 10 or 11 that like we are going into a Liverpool game and I cannot hope to get anything out of it like not like there's like there's no hope whatsoever <laughs> like I would be I would be surprised if 
we lose by fewer than th- like three goals. That, wow. would be a, that would actually be a surprise to me. Should add that it was reported today that Paul Pogba and David De Gea are definitively out, as in not playing on Sunday. Correct? Who's yes. gonna? Who's even gonna play? Um, <laughs> let's see. We're gonna have uh, Marcus Rashford's Fohawk. Uh, I guess um, Fred short back and sides. Uh, Marcus Rojo's forearm tattoos. And, uh, you know, a plucky attitude. <laughs> you forgot McTominay. Oh, yeah. Excuse me. McTominay, who made the, you know, like, is a tactical G. I can't believe that he chose to be both Scottish and 6'4". He's definitely, <laughs> you know, like, the key to everything. Connor, Connor, are you as down on United as Micah is? And also, uh, you know, you're an Arsenal fan. I mean, do you think Liverpool, obviously, eight matches is only eight out of 38. But do they have a chance to do this Invincibles thing? I mean, they do. I don't think they will. I mean, that's just, just statistically, it doesn't really, you know, and, and there's, they're going to be competing on so many fronts. I mean, down on them in this game or down on, down on United just in general? I guess down on them in general, you know, every other day now, the Daily Mail or the Sun is reporting Allegri, <laughs> looking at Manchester homes or even having agreed to terms. Um, it seems like Ole, you know, has a couple more games probably to sort this out, but well, a couple... Poor results, especially a tonking here at home uh, to Liverpool could spell the end. It seems like overall the mood is down. I mean, well, obviously Micah, Micah as a fan is down. Yeah, well, I mean, like it's it's more or less the same issue that uh, Greg Berhalter is facing with the USMNT right now. It's just like there's a there's a he there's a vague idea of how like Solskjaer wants United to play. It's just that we don't have the requisite players or like. You know, I, I don't know if his tactical acumen is exactly where it needs to be or, you know, the wherewithal to institute it or the time or the patience because Manchester United is, you know, one of the three biggest clubs in the world. Um, Burhalter wants the USMNT to pass in like tidy triangles and, you know, like have cycle through a series of preset options before the game starts in terms of the runs that they're supposed to make and the passes that they're supposed to make. But they only train together for a few weeks out of the year. So it's not like realistic for players from Germany, England, and the MLS to play together in a very complicated system and for it to work every time. Unless they're playing Cuba. Well, yeah, sure. Uh, unless they're uh, playing Cuba. <laughs> wait, so back to the question, Connor, are you as down on United as, as Micah is? And do they have a chance? I mean, it's still Old Trafford. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they have a chance in this game. And I think this could be one where it could get... You're kind of curious to see what they try to do. I mean, you know, like they're... they're, they're, I don't think they have a chance of winning the game. You kind of think back to that Arsenal game where they... I think people were probably most down on Unai Emery after that game because you thought like he he had that tactical formation where they were just completely conceding the flanks and letting the fullbacks come in, which... On paper, when you look at Liverpool, it's just not a great idea. That's mm-hmm. where most of their dangers. But I think his whole point was, I'm going to kind of constrict the movement of the front three as much as I can. And it didn't work, obviously. It was pretty disastrous, and they lost. But like you were kind of like, okay, well, there was an idea there, and they didn't execute it. And But I think I think we even had the pod shortly after that, Donnie, where we kind of like, you know, we were talking about Emery out. And then you kind of look at it now, and they're in third place. All of a sudden, Arsenal's in third place. And, yeah. I mean, they are the beneficiary of— And they didn't lose, right? 1-1. Uh, well, in the Liverpool game, I mean, they lost. Oh, I'm, I'm talking sorry. about the Liverpool game. Yeah. So how, how they how they came up against Liverpool, um, they are the beneficiary beneficiary of like a lot of other teams' failings. But I think I just 
I, I, I say all that to mean you're not going to determine what the end result's going to be for Manchester United based on how they go against Liverpool because I think Liverpool's just going to smoke everyone they play. Um, I think it has the, there is a kind of debilitating effect that is unique in this game because it's a rivalry game. Um, you know, I, I think we kind of know where it's going to go with United. Solskjaer probably has a couple more weeks. They'll lose to, you know, Watford or something and he'll get he'll get fired. They'll go into the January transfer window and try to bring back Zlatan or Mario Mandzukic and it'll kind of turn into a real just ugly kind of couple of months of staying, you know, finishing mid-table. Um, I, I, I don't know what they do because... They don't have the players. There's only later for now moves to be made in terms of what, like, can be immediately done about the problem. Like, there will be, like, they will lose Liverpool. They will probably lose the North City next week. People are going to say that Allegri is the answer and that we will be able to claw our way back into whatever. But I think, first of all, like, if you're Allegri... Why? Why take that job? Why but, take the job? And I, I really don't intend this to be trolly. I mean, maybe slightly trolly, but are they in danger of getting caught up in a relegation <laughs> scrap? Here? Well, the thing is that like this is that I oh, they are two points on, off of the, they're two points off of the relegation zone. But the thing is, is that it's it's the same situation as. Uh, Mourinho's last season at Chelsea where it was just kind of like we all got to walk around and be all happy about being able to say 16th place Chelsea for like two or three weeks but they ended up finishing you know somewhere mid did they finish they actually ended up finishing eighth yeah Yeah. they ended up finishing eighth that season thing is that like a similar thing will probably happen with United this season it's just that it is so boring and deflating to watch. <laughs> yeah. It was 10th, actually. Sorry. Oh, yeah. It's not good. It's not good. Definitely not headed good. towards a, the very, a very mid-table finish. I think in the larger point with the, with the Premier League, though, and it's, it's just kind of interesting because the whole story and the, the, what's made the league compelling over the last decade or so is that there's been a top four. There's been these really compelling races. And, you know, the, it's the rest of the European leagues that have been these kind of one-horse races, two-horse races. I... I I think that the story is that Liverpool is probably, you know, they're they're not. It's 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 mid October, early October, and they're not too far away from making this a one horse race. Yeah, they're eight points clear, and I mean, winning difficult games over good team. I mean, like right before the international break, the win over Leicester was the kind of win that you see from a person, like from yeah. a team that eventually wins a title. Which I mean, like involves those, you know late stoppage time breaks where you get like, you know, the unjust PK that wins, that gives you a two on win instead of a one, one draw. Like that's the kind of bounces that you need to get. And they're getting those and they look like an unstoppable machine. Um, So I I think, you know, and and that's not to count out Man City, obviously. So I think if you're Manchester United, you also kind of look at that and say, you just kind of concede, you, you concede that you're not at that level you're not at the level of City. You're not at the level of Liverpool, but we're barely at the level of the the the, the level of Chelsea and Arsenal. Like, <laughs> yeah, but that's that's you know you can you can work with that. Um, yeah. And and neither of those teams is really showing any sign of kind of um, pulling you know, away, pulling away from you, pulling pulling away, and even Tottenham and that as well. So you know the 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 fix is there. I I guess the the question is like it's going to require some some players to emerge that are already on the roster. And you look at the roster and you just think, you just don't know who those players are. 
Yeah. And because Mason, Mason you, Greenwood. Yeah, yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but like that's that's you know that's that that's you, you kind of think if it's if it's going to be you know you were kind of hoping that you could have looked at Luke Shaw and been like, hey, we we nailed down a left back spot. Can't, yeah, can't say you know you just kind of still. You're still waiting on that. You're still playing Ashley Young there. Um, you know, it would have been nice to be able to say, you know, that you've got that 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 you've got your forward three figured out with Daniel James, Martial, and Rashford, if that's what you wanted to do. And can't can't really say that. You know, it's yeah. so it's it's you, you need to kind of they're still very far away from figuring out even what the general spine of the team is, let alone a fully fledged starting eleven. And you can't plug those holes in January. Well, elsewhere in the Premier League weekend, I know you guys wanted to double-click on a couple of these matches. Where should we start? I guess we could start with Man City, uh, who have Palace at Sellers Park. I, I, should I, I, should I totally... quote Pep from All or Nothing? Oh, please Crystal do. Crystal Palace would be a real tough, tough game for the way they play. Guys, 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 <laughs> guys, guys. <laughs> no, but I'd, like it'll, I'd, it's going to be... Um, it's, it seems it's, I don't know. Crystal Palace just is consistently a trap game. Uh, there's, and on top of that, there's just the, the overarching narrative of like Manchester city and their defensive frailties attempting to chase down a team. They only beat by one point in the title race last year. Um, in terms of that, whether or not they can get over what should amount to a speed bump is, I mean, will make for a more interesting matchup than uh, what is what else is happening this weekend? I, I was like, I was convinced Crystal Palace would have been, and, and maybe they'll still get there, but I was convinced that they were going to be in the relegation scrap this year. Uh, so I have, I have kind of forfeited my right to make a judgment on that team. Well, they're currently in sixth place. And of course, they beat City last year at the Etihad, that famous Andrew Townsend left-footed volley from... God. Way downtown. Just look it up again and again. Just a frozen rope. Uh, so Everton is playing West Ham United, and we're speaking of managers on the hot seat. Uh, I'm looking at that November 11th international break as possibly Ole out, possibly Marco Silva out, if not sooner. I mean, I think it's kind of three points or nothing for him here. Do you guys agree? I would, actually, I would kind of agree with that. Yeah. I mean, it's... Everton seems to have most of the pieces that they need. It just, they can't seem to organize them into <laughs> like consistent results. And you've been saying that for three, you know, three years now. Yeah. Too. I mean, it's just, it's, 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 it's time. They're not getting the results. I, I think, I think the better, you know, the better story is, I, you know, West Ham is that Pellegrini has really turned that team into, uh, you know, that, that team had a lot of new players, had a lot of guys that, you're kind of wondering how they were going to fit, especially up front, and that's a good. It's a good-looking team. There's a lot of talent. Yeah. There always was a lot of talent there, um, but they've managed to kind of create this interesting spine with Noble and Declan Rice sitting in front of the back three. I love, you know, I love their 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 center back pairing. I think Issa Diop, that center back, is probably one that's next to go to a to be the subject of some serious serious money bids from a from a top team. Um, and then up top, they've just yeah, they've just got a lot of goals in there. It's yeah, we said fun it before the season. Sebastian Haller, who's their their new striker. He's a quality player, and, and he's certainly proven that. Um, Micah, you had pointed out Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern, Tottenham-Watford. You were calling it the opportunity for either time to write the ship, either team to write the ship matchup. 
uh, yeah, as as we know, Tottenham is having a rough go of it. Uh, and I mean, like Watford are too. They were, they kind of got the new manager bump when Kike Sanchez Flores came back, and it was a decent run of form for maybe two games, and then it drops off a cliff immediately after that. So, um, yeah, they're this, at the bottom of the table. Yeah, it would be. It'll be kind of an opportunity again. Yeah, it would be an opportunity for either team to write the ship. I mean, like Tottenham is coming off of losing. 3-0 to Brighton uh, and obviously 7-2 to Bayern uh, and they just need something to stop the bleeding at this point. Connor, would you agree? I don't know what to expect from Tottenham. I mean, that's a lame answer. I, I I think Watford, I wonder if there's a, a an almost, um, not a reassuring, reassuring is not the right word, but when you're in the relegation scrap, you fired your coach, you have a new coach, you kind of know, you know where you are, you know what you are. You know, you can kind of end any grand illusions of competing for Europe or you're not kind of, you know, I think there's a complacency that sets in when teams fall into that kind of in-between zone of, you know, 15 to to nine range. And I think it, with the, with where Watford are, I mean, they have enough talent, um, goal-scoring talent especially too, to, to just kind of go out there and play with a certain maybe reckless abandon where they've got nothing to lose at this point. And I, I, I wonder if that will, that will serve them well in some games, especially against a Tottenham team that's just, just, kind of limping I, I i genuinely don't know what to expect from them in this in this instance it's a good point when you're when you're in the relegation zone it certainly narrows your focus <laughs> because all you're trying to do is get to safety yeah uh, and watford is certainly in that position now on only three points uh at the bottom of the table as i mentioned all right guys anything else from these matchups we have leicester city burnley wolves southampton stop me i'm i'm, cur- I'm curious if leicester city kind of maintains is a team that actually can can stay in the top four race i mean that's you know, it's early for that, but I, I actually would like to see if they can kind of throw their weight around a little bit there. Yeah, Leicester City strikes me, especially with Brendan Rodgers, as a team that will remember in February how much, you know, we were praising them in October. And and uh, if we're talking about Brendan Rodgers getting a big job after this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, don't, don't rule it out. Uh, our boys, Arsenal, Sheffield United on Monday. Sheffield United's been surprisingly good or surprising to some. Uh, that could uh, be an interesting matchup. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you, the Arsenal, I mean, you, you look at the table and you just kind of think, like, I don't know how this happened and I don't know <laughs> why this has happened because they do not look like the third best team in the league. But yeah, well, it's, it's the crazy thing is that second place is there for the taking as of it, it, it's, match day nine. It's amazing. You know, I, I think we've got this, you know, this this stretch until we get to the, uh, until we get to the winter break is going to be really important for a team like Arsenal to just shore up some of its, you know, to build an, enough of a, of a cushion against uh, in, in, in that in those Champions League places. It's going to be difficult. I mean, there's well, actually, no. Wolves is bad as we've as we've established last on the, on the last pod, and the, you know, like there are a lot of things to be fixed there. But then Leicester City and Southampton, Crystal Palace is uh, the weekend after this coming weekend. It'll be a kind of. Do you do you, do you anticipate that being kind of bumpy, especially with Europa League fixtures? You know, I think they'll in there? I think they'll manage Europa League pretty well because I think I think Emery's going to eventually just run it out to to just some B teams and kids. So, I I, I you know, are we still talking about Arsenal here? Because yeah, yeah we're still talking about Arsenal because <laughs> yeah. I think you know, uh, not to cut you off, Connor, but I think the fact that Arsenal haven't started a league match yet with their preferred starting fullbacks. Of course, I'm talking about Hector Bellerin and Kieran Tierney. 
who just came from Celtic. I think, you know, Emery's attack is so reliant on fullbacks overlapping, you know, making runs. I think seeing the Arsenal team with those two guys in the lineup, it's going to be a big difference. At least I think it will be. And I think that the team has not even come close to how good it can be going forward. I think I think that's right. I mean, I think it's 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 kind of an odd. I don't think that those fullbacks will help solve any of the defensive deficiencies, which is kind of strange when you think that you're talking about fifty percent of your back line. Uh, but I do I do think they will give them uh, a balance and a fluency going forward that will kind of hopefully plug up some of the holes in midfield that uh, that have just really hurt them. Yeah. All right, guys, on that note, actually, Michael, you weren't here with us for our little MLS preview, but you have an MLS prediction, an MLS Cup winner prediction. An MLS Cup winner prediction. And also, are you a Galaxy or an LAFC fan? I am Switzerland among the Los Angeles teams, please. I, I enjoy going to Do you to have LAFC an MLS stadium. team? I don't have an LF, I don't have an MLS team. I, oh, okay. I do not have one. I, it is more so that like I, I start watching the, the MLS Cup as it gets into the Fine, like into, conference finals. Yeah, exactly. Into into the conference finals. Like I, I I approach it much like how I approach watching baseball. Unfortunately, <laughs> we'll, we'll take you to a game. You'll change your tune real quick. So no prediction then. No prediction. All right. So Michael wants LAFC to win. <laughs> lock it in. <laughs> yeah, lock it in. All right, guys. Thanks for joining me. As always. We'll be back in two weeks. Peace.